0: Your path to joy is totally nonlinear and it will go in all different directions, ones that you might never have expected. And being too wedded to a particular pathway actually precludes the fact that a better one could arrive. Like You might not even see it because you're too focused on what you thought life should look like.
1: Hello, my name's Riley Rose Harper, and this is How to Turn 30, the podcast all about tackling the transition from your 20s to your 30s. This is episode four, Seize Your Yay, at any age, featuring Sarah Davison. So what does success look like to you? Have you even thought about it before? It's common that throughout our 20s, we have a dream, a goal to chase down, and we just run off that pure ambition, throughout our 20s. And as we head into our 30s, does our definition of success change? Obviously, that's a very individual response. But for me, I've definitely had moments where I've looked back at the career that I've chipped away at over the last 10 years and thought, is this all worth it? I hope so. I found myself even looking through uni courses or TAFE courses and actually caught myself thinking, but I can't start anything new now because I've left it too late. I may as well keep going because I've come this far. Of course, many, many people change and pivot their careers throughout their whole life. Turning 30 doesn't mean you have to bunker down and just commit to whatever you chose to do in your 20s. You could literally do anything, but it could be a good idea to really assess whether what you've been doing through your 20s really brings you joy or Yay, as my next guest would call it. Sarah Davidson is the founder of Matcha Maiden. She's a lawyer turned entrepreneur. She's a podcaster. She's an author with a new book out. It is called Seize the Yay, which draws on her own stories, personal anecdotes and insight. It is an absolute delight to read and it was a delight to speak to her and bring her insights to the How to Turn 30 podcast. She is literally yay personified. We talk about how her side hustle turned into a global business, whether self-doubt actually really goes away ever, and why now is the best time to pursue anything that you've had on the back burner. Here's Sarah. Sarah Davidson, thank you so much for jumping on How to Turn 30 today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight and such a shame we can't do it
0: in person, but really, really lovely to connect.
1: Oh, I know. Uh, Hopefully one day soon. (laughs) That will be good. (laughs) Now, Sarah, I think we should um, start at the very beginning. I mean, Matcha Maiden sort of started as, well, it did start as a side hustle. Can you tell us a little bit about what your life actually looked like when you were sort of uh, starting the side hustle and what job you were actually in? Because you had quite a pivot.
0: Yes. So I was a mergers and acquisitions lawyer at the time. And to be perfectly honest, on reflection, I wasn't trying to leave. I wasn't super unhappy. I don't even think I was necessarily looking for anything else. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I'd studied seven years to get there. I started my career in a wonderful law firm with great opportunities and lots of traveling and really good superiors. So, I mean, back then for all intents and purposes, I was like, I was killing it. I was super happy. Um, And I don't know about super happy, but I was very grateful to have a good job. I'd been in the GFC at uni and, you know, it was all doom and gloom back then of who would get jobs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I spent, um, I think, probably the whole of that first three years as a lawyer in this deep sense of gratitude that made me not even think about the fact that there was anything else, which is now why I'm so passionate about stopping other people get on that autopilot circuit. But it was only a happy accident of having gone to Africa on a volunteer expedition and I uh, got a parasite over there, which I totally ignored, came home, went back to work the next day and three months later hadn't noticed that I'd sort of been dropping 15 kilos and getting really unwell Mm. and had a complete breakdown into adrenal fatigue. And in the process of being banned from coffee and trying to really discover things in my daily life and lifestyle that could help me get a good boost of energy but be gentle on my body, I discovered Matcha Powder. And it's a healthier form of caffeination that allows you a bit of a buzz of energy, but it's got 137 times the antioxidants of regular green tea. It's really versatile. And back in Australia, you know, or I mean, everywhere really in the US, everyone was you know, the health and wellness market was booming. Everyone was really embracing green superfoods. We were drinking spirulina Mm -hmm. and that tastes like foot. And I just couldn't understand why matcha wasn't, you know, widely available. So the side hustle began out of my selfish need to fill the gap for the market for myself Mm -hmm. and my now husband, Nick, who had also become hooked. And at that time it was such a, like, I think, you know, I never actually thought it would become something. We just started because we thought it would be a really fun way to have an excuse to spend more time together. It would justify us buying a whole heap of powder and bringing it into the country (laughs) for ourselves. And I often think that sometimes the projects that you don't put a lot of pressure on yourself to be really successful and that you don't have expectations of because you approach it that way. And you're not as fearful of, you know, I mean, obviously it was very scary, but I had no expectations, which meant that everything was a bonus. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sort of double guessing myself all the time of like, what's going to go well in the market. Cause all I cared about was getting my own matcha, So yeah. it was like a very much an accidental success and uh, very much done on the side of a full-time job that was sometimes up to 20 hours a day and weekends, and I'd be sort of squeezing in, Instagramming smoothie bowls, at my desk in between
1: trying to write contracts and dash to meetings. And it was a very hectic time. (laughs) So what was sort of, I guess, the breaking point of you, you were like, okay, this is getting way bigger than what we actually expected. And where do you draw the line and make that decision of, um, you know, leaving your corporate job?
0: Yeah, it's such a difficult question. And it's Mm. probably one of the questions I get asked the most. I think it's a very, very personal one based on what else is going on in your life at the time. You know, I love to say just leave it job and follow your passion but I think there's a lot of practicalities if you have children or you have dependents you know there are some (laughs) risks and responsibilities that we all have so Mm. the decision making process will look different for everyone depending on what your life looks like but for me I've always made decisions based on keeping as many doors open as possible and I just tried to do both for as long as I could physically tolerate it and for six to eight months, I stayed at the law firm while the business was building so that we still had a, you know, an income. We could use that as capital for the business. I wanted to make the risk as low as I possibly could. Once I realized that it was actually, it had gone well and people were actually buying it and yeah. it could maybe sustain itself as a real business rather than just a hobby. I still thought, you know, before I even consider walking away from a stable job and a a certain future, uh, let's see if it can prove itself to us. So I pretty much waited until we locked in a really big contract with Urban Outfitters in the U.S., who found us off the back of Instagram, which is so strange, because we were still packing in our undies in a garage together. Like it was so breaking bad, but green. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it was just sort of the most surreal moment thinking, oh my gosh, this is actually legit. We've put ourselves out there as a business and now we've got to live up to it. But that purchase order came through and it was so big that it forced the decision on me. It was mm. either say no because we don't didn't have enough staff or the ability to say yes, to fulfill the order on time or take the jump and say yes. And, you know, take a risk on the dream and and see what it can do. Mm. And I think by that time, it was obviously still petrifying and it all happened so quickly. And it was a bit of a rip the bandaid moment, but at the same time, by then the business had had six to eight months of solid continual growth. You know, it wasn't covering my full wage, but it was making enough that I knew I wouldn't, you know, be totally destitute and homeless on the street the mm. next day. Like there was some proof of concept. And I also sort of, I always come back to what's the once in a lifetime opportunity. And in that matrix, it becomes a lot easier to make decisions because law will always be there. It's like the one certainty in life other than taxes yeah. and death is law. So <laughs> I thought... There's not a huge risk there. I can always go back. I've got my qualifications. I've made a really good name for myself and I've worked really hard to make good connections. I can always come back to law, but I will never, ever again have the opportunity to be pretty much the first to market matcher in this way, to be the first e-commerce business while there's such a desire, while the Kardashians are drinking it. like Someone needs to jump in and fill this gap.
1: Yeah, exactly. why
0: couldn't it be us?
1: It's almost unbelievable that matcha wasn't a thing in Australia because you know it, it's quite second nature in in the wellness and and superfood kind of conversations that we have now. Yeah, and it's
0: strange that even in the US. It was everywhere, like so many famous people and key opinion leaders were drinking it. It was in cafes everywhere when we were traveling, but it wasn't branded. So it's not that the pro- you know the product didn't exist. I think often when you are trying to innovate or trying to come up with new ideas, we think we have to reinvent the wheel completely. But the product was around. It's actually existed for centuries. Like yeah. Asia, in Asia, it's been around since the Zen Buddhist monks. So they just laugh when we talk about it like it's this brand new superfood. <laughs> But it it wasn't even like the, the, the point of difference that we brought wasn't the product. It was just making it into a community. It was making it into something people wanted to be involved in. And I, I often think we, I talk about self-doubt so much, and I think we self-select ourselves out of opportunities so often. And one of the main reasons is often because we're like, oh, someone's already done it, but Mm. someone's already done everything Mm. in 2020 it's all about just your spin on it and the way that you do it differently. And we just slapped a brand name on it and made it pretty and made it Instagram friendly and changed the language from, you know, ancient Japanese traditional ceremony to
1: vibrant daily use superfood. It was just a very small tweak, but, that made all the difference. You touched on self-doubt a little bit there, and it's something that you do go into quite a lot in your book, Seize the Yay, and you've talked to many entrepreneurs and many successful people on your podcast, Seize the Yay, and you've had success as well. Do we ever get to a magical place where self-doubt doesn't exist anymore, and how do I get there? (laughs) I think that I once aspired
0: to that. I once hoped that I would wake up one day and be full, like just filled with confidence and, Mm. and, you know, certainty around my abilities. And, I definitely think it's important to learn to master it and to not be wracked with it so badly that you're paralyzed. But now I think I've come to appreciate it as a sign that I'm not complacent. Mm. It's almost like a little reminder that you actually really care about doing a good job. It's it's not. I don't think it's a bad sign. It's just a self protection mechanism that actually confirms for you that you're stepping out of your comfort zone. And I wouldn't ever want to think that I'd stopped taking steps to evolve and change and challenge myself and that I just got comfortable and stayed static in one position and only did what was familiar. So I've learned to sort of not hope anymore that it goes away completely, but rather make sure that at least I know how to respond to it when it does happen. And I think it's it's a lot of people aim to make it go away, but that internal chatter is completely normal. Mm. It's so, it's just our natural defense mechanism to anything that You know, pushes us beyond what we've done before. All you need to do is just acknowledge it, understand its role, and then just say, okay, like, I understand that's what you're doing. You're protecting me, but I don't need to be controlled by you. I'm not going to change any of my decisions based on you. Most of the time, your negative self talk is totally wrong. And it's just there because, you know, of humility and the, I think it's it's so important to be able to observe yourself like that and not just be so comfortable that you've nailed it. So yeah, it's a very complicated relationship we all have with imposter syndrome, but I always think it would be the greatest shame if anyone didn't follow their dreams and prove to themselves what they were able to do, not because their idea didn't work, but because they didn't believe it could work. Mm. That That's just the biggest shame to me. So I'm so, so passionate about helping others understand the dialogue and learn how to sort of, yeah, move through it rather than trying to avoid it altogether.
1: Yeah, I really love that, Sarah. And I think that's especially relevant. At this time and this year when so many people have been maybe stood down from their jobs, maybe been made redundant, even in my company, there have been a lot of redundancies made and a lot of people stood down and, you know, a lot of people were doing their jobs because they love the industry and they're so passionate about the industry. And of course, this podcast is all about the transition from your 20s to your 30s. And a lot of the time we sort of have these thoughts that we've been chipping away at this certain career for so long and maybe people think that, oh, it's too late, like I may as well just commit to this now. Do you think now is as good a time as ever to really be assess assessing what brings us joy in our career and, and what we're going to be doing to make money every day? Yeah, that's I think so common and that's what I worry about so much is that
0: I was on a trajectory where I now I know that I didn't care about the ladder I was climbing But then I didn't know, I actually didn't know that that's not, I wasn't fully invigorated because once we search, you know, tick certain boxes in our jobs, a good pay, it's objectively respectable and it has, you know, a career path and a trajectory of promotions and progress. I think sometimes when we feel we're productive or busy, we're like, oh, okay, that's it. Like, that's more than I need. Why would I even look at anything else? Unless you're actively unhappy, I think people often don't make a change and, That leads them also to then by the time they realise they want to make a change, we're like, I've come too far, you know, then it's a waste of time or I'm too old or, you know. I genuinely believe, firstly, that, you know, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. So every chapter of your life is, even if it's not one that you're enjoying, you're learning something for whatever the next chapter is. You don't, you're don't, you not wedded to stick with one chapter for your whole life. That's just not how it's supposed to work. So nothing is ever a waste. No chapter is ever a waste because even if it shows you what you don't like, that's also valuable information to figure out what you do like. There are also so many examples of people who have come into their Ultimate purpose and a life that we now know them for. And, you know, the only chapter we know a lot of them for, they didn't even get there until their 40s or 50s or 60s. Like age is just something that is only a barrier if you let it. Mm. And if I had done, you know, taken that approach of I'd studied for nearly a decade to get to this career if I thought that that would be a waste if I walked away from law and let myself not walk away from it, I never would have seen how valuable it could be in other areas. Mm. Your skills are transferable. You know, we're not static humans. You can apply what you've learned in totally different contexts to whole new jobs and whole new life paths. And that's the point. I think the podcast has taught me or reinforced for me what I already started to believe that your path to joy is totally nonlinear and it will go in all different directions, ones that you might never have expected. And being too wedded to a particular pathway actually precludes the fact that a better one could arrive. Like you might not even see it because you're too focused on what you thought life should look like. Mm. And I think 2020 and the the pandemic has obviously caused so much grief and adversity and challenge for so many people. And we wouldn't wish to learn the lessons the way we have, but I think there are so many lessons. This has broken the autopilot circuit that so many people were on and given them a chance to clear the slate and really actively think about what you want to put back into your life. And that's all I want from CCA is that people are making active choices about where they are rather than just automatically continuing because that's what they've always known or because that's what they've always done. Yeah, I think this is a time where people will persuade themselves that it's the worst time to make a change, but I actually think it could be the best time to make a change. Oh, that was powerful, Sarah.
1: (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I forgot where we were. (laughs) actually really wanted to ask you, Sarah, you founded Match Maiden with your husband so you guys obviously work quite closely together. How do you separate those two things? Like, do you guys actively switch off and make sure you have time as a couple? And I guess that actually correlates with um, being busy as well. It's quite trendy to be really busy all the time and especially with millennials and our generation. What do you guys do? Do you make time to switch off? And I know I think you've mentioned that you meditate every day and just finding those little pockets, or windows of time to actually switch off because you would be really busy. But, um, you know, a lot of people just are busy and busy and busy and then they just burn out. Yeah,
0: that's a great question and it's been a huge learning curve, particularly since going into business together because <laughs> mm. before we at least had the boundaries of having different jobs. So one or the other of our jobs would kind of give you a little push to know that it was the end of the day. But I think it's become the most important thing that we do is putting aside time because otherwise you just end up as business partners who are housemates and you just blur the lines between everything and you kind of realise you've lost the, the time that makes you guys you and I think, you know, the relationship comes first, business always has to come second and yet for the first couple of years it took us a really long time to learn how to put those boundaries in. What we've had to do is in terms of, conflict resolution and how to sort of separate the relationship from our working relationship. We've put in a lot of boundaries in terms of separating our roles in the business and deciding who's the boss of which. That's made a huge difference. Having a different office to where our bedroom is so we don't work, especially now that we're only working from home and we're only playing at home, like there's nowhere else to go in Victoria. We've had to really allocate our physical spaces so that they're separate. And then in terms of downtime, The only way that we've been able to do that is to literally calendarize our rest and like date night and. When we weren't in lockdown, we had movie night that we sort of locked in months in advance and like we have a recurring monthly night that we go to the movies and we don't take our phones. Every Sunday is now what I call Sloth Sunday. So we try not to be on our devices at all and try and like, that's when we give ourselves permission to be a sloth Mm -hmm. and not move, just watch like a whole season of something on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And we didn't actually used to distinguish between weekends and weekdays at all like everything was just a blur of doing and we suffered personally and together so much for that we just burnt out emotionally and physically but now we yeah we have our weekends we walk the dog I meditate twice a day I have to pretty much do twice a day to keep my anxiety in check taking lunch breaks particularly when you're at home and there's nowhere to go it's really hard to even bother to take a break but taking lunch breaks to go outside and maybe have a sweat do a workout and then also calling it at night there has to be a time where you draw a line in the sand and finish working and we used to just work right up until the minute that we slept and then wonder why we couldn't fall asleep because you're too wired So now we try and sit down for dinner, you know, not eat at our desks or eat doing stuff, but actually sit down, take the time to cook, sit and enjoy the meal and then try not to do too much work unless it's really urgent after dinner and we just unwind with a stupid crime show or you know, a a silly movie or a blooper, you know, sometimes we go on these weird YouTube tangents (laughs) for hours, but you've got to let your brain have a rest.
1: (laughs) And is that how your podcast Seize the Yay sort of started, Sarah, that you needed a sort of creative outlet that you could talk to these entrepreneurs and really successful people and have a little bit of just a project of your own? I mean, it it is a successful podcast in its own right now, but I'm assuming it didn't exactly... that wasn't the actual goal of the podcast to be super successful. It just was your project. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that came from the same thing. I've sort of come to conceive of my yay or like my most yay-filled life as a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. And the pieces that you need at different times of your life change. And as long as you're sort of on top of where the gaps are and what you feel like you're missing and then trying to fill that, then you'll continue to feel really fulfilled and happy. And I think after about three or four years on what we call the matcha mission with matcha made and the matcha milk bar my business partners in both of those were men and i started to really miss that sort of super feminine fluffy side of myself that didn't really have an outlet anymore because the business was you know not it was just sort of gender neutral and very health and wellness focused and i was just missing That sort of expression, and also missing the ability to share the stuff that is not professional to share on the business page, like all the behind the scenes of failures and setbacks, and burnout and anxiety, or having my period. Like you can't really rock up on your business page and say, Guys, I'm just not,
1: you're not going to get your orders because I got
0: my period today. And it's just not a good day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And my personality has always been equally super professional and on the ball when I need to be. But total open book goober in the rest of my life. And I I was starting to feel really imbalanced. So the podcast, and I also wasn't doing anything that was just for joy. Everything was, Mm. had a purpose. Even exercise was like, I was trying to A-type achieve at exercise, like it was progress-based and achievement-based. So the podcast came about as, yeah, a play project. I didn't need to win at it. I didn't even need it to go well. I just wanted to talk to people and and learn and open my brain and just have you know just chew the fat and have a great time and have have a laugh and it's turned out to be exactly that. I didn't I've actually never announced what day the episodes come out on or what cycle. It's turned out to be weekly, but I never committed to anything because I didn't want to have a deadline and yeah. i always said if I don't have an episode or I have, you know, an anxious week and I can't get one out then I don't want to have announced a date so that I've created pressure or deadlines for myself because I do that in every other area of my life. It's just this sort of really casual, free-flowing, joy-based project. And if it's not joyful, I just don't do it for that day or that week or, you know, I choose sort of how it unravels and which guests come on. So it was lovely to just introduce that back into my
1: life because I almost corporatized our other businesses as they got bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, now we've got a book to actually read, which is (laughs) fantastic. We can listen to all your podcast episodes and read the book as well. And I'm going to be completely self-indulgent for a quick sec to wrap up. But um, yesterday I was just telling you off air, oh, man – you know, a new job at work, feeling a bit tired, feeling a bit run down, I thought I'm going to read a few chapters of Sarah's book and every page I could just feel the self-doubt alleviating a little bit and um, feeling a lot more positive about work and play and and yay, Sarah. I oh, can't believe I got the oh, pun in there. Uh, <laughs> I'm so
0: proud of you. I didn't even I didn't write that. I'm so, so glad. I feel like that's all, you know, One thing I've really learned is I think we expect to have these huge revelation moments in our life. And, of course, looking back there are aha moments, but I think sometimes like you'll you'll have a touch point with something like a book or a podcast or somewhere you're not necessarily expecting it and it can totally change your day or it can totally change the way you think in a moment. Like I often pick up a book or listen to a podcast uncannily just when I need that exact message. Yeah. So, you probably picked up the self doubt chapter just on a day when you needed it, when on another day, you know, you might have not needed that chapter at all. Totally. And that's just what I hoped. I hoped the book would be something that everyone will find, even if it's just one sentence or one nugget, and even if they've heard it before, but it just hits them. Differently mm. at the time that they pick up that book. that's It makes you feel so much less alone to yeah. hear that someone else has been through the same thing as you. And then you're fine. Then you're over it. You're like, oh, okay, if it's not just me, I'm fine.
1: <laughs> I got this now.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm back to my yay. I'm cool.
1: <laughs> Sarah, I really appreciate your time on How to Turn 30 today and I appreciate your outlook on life. You're amazing. The book's amazing. The podcast's amazing. Thank you so much for lending your thoughts today.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Sarah's book is out now. There's a link to buy a copy in the show notes. Of course, it is called Seize the Yay. I really encourage you to get yourself a copy or at least listen to Sarah's podcast, which I'll also link. In the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating or review, or take a screenshot of you listening and pop it up on Instagram. I would absolutely love that. And you can tag me at Riley Rose Harper or How to Turn Thirty Podcast. That is where you can find me as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any feedback or you'd like to see something covered on How to Turn Thirty, please get in touch with me via Instagram. Otherwise, I'll be dropping another episode in your feed next week.